Okay, so um, I'm excited to finish up this series uh, that we've been doing on the life of Jesus. And in this series, we've been looking at the different things that Jesus did, the different things that Jesus said, and we're saying, what can we learn about him and who he is from these things, and how does it apply to our lives? What difference does it make in our lives? So we broke the series up in a bunch of different ways, kind of different chunks. We started off looking at different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So there's all of these prophecies in the Old Testament before Jesus ever came and lived that said the Messiah would do this. The Messiah's birth would be like this. The Messiah's life would be like this. The Messiah's death would be like this. And we looked at how Jesus fulfilled all of those things. And we said, man, what are the chances that one person could randomly do that? Like slim to none, right? And so we looked at these prophecies. The next thing we looked at were a bunch of the different miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did miraculous things, things that normal human beings like you and I couldn't do. And it causes us to step back and pause and go, who is he? He's not normal. He's not just a human. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a wise man. Only God could do the things that he did. And then we looked at some of the teachings that Jesus did. And specifically, we looked at the parables and just the wisdom and the practical application to our lives. And then three weeks ago, we started talking about prayer and, uh, and what Jesus' prayers look like and how they affect us in our lives today. And as we talked about prayer, we were, we were real simple with this. We defined prayer this way. We said, prayer is personal conversation with God. Like sometimes we can look at prayer as something really complicated. I got to say all the right things or I have to say it beautifully in order for God to hear me. And we're like, no, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is just me in conversation with God. And conversation intuits two things. It intuits me talking to God, but it also intuits me listening to God, right? Talking's a little bit easier. Listening can be a little bit harder, right? And so we kind of dug into what prayer looks like. And, uh, and Jesus, you know, I just skipped a page here. Jesus just, uh, uh, where am I at? Oh, we talked about a challenge. Excuse me, forgive me for that. We've been challenging each other each week, saying, listen, if we're going to talk about prayer each week, we're going to dig into all of this stuff, it would be silly for us to talk about it and not actually do it, right? We don't want to just talk about it. We want to do it. So we've been challenging each other to spend time in prayer every week. And so we've been saying, what would it look like for us as a campus? What difference would it make if all of us would commit? And I, and I, and I realize there's a big number of people to do this. But what if all of us committed to spend 15 minutes a day in prayer? Like for some of us, that is very much a natural part of our, our week and our day already. For, some, for others of us, that hasn't been. And we said, man, how would God change us and how would God use us to change the community if every day we made spending time with him the priority, right? And so I want to lay that challenge out to you again and say, are you doing that? Like as, you, as, as we come here on the weekends and we're talking about prayer these last few weeks, are you stepping out and are you doing it in your life? Are you making time with him a priority for you? And so we dug in, as we started this part about prayer, we started talking about the Lord's Prayer. So three weeks ago, we, we spent two weeks on the Lord's Prayer. And we said, this is like, if you've ever wanted to know what the Father's uh, desire for us in prayer is, what God's desire for us in prayer is, here it is. Jesus says, this is what your prayer should look like. And he gives us this template, really, this structure for our prayers, right? And we dug into that over the couple weeks and just slowed way down. If you're like me, I, I grew up in a tradition where we recited the Lord's Prayer uh, every week together. That was part of what we did. And then my prayers throughout the week was also reciting the Lord's Prayer. And I used to say it really, really fast. And I wouldn't think about the words. And I said, maybe when we dig into this, we think about the words, 
Like we think about what it is that we're praying to God, right? And so we dug into that over a couple weeks. And then last week, we talked about uh, Jesus' prayers during the most challenging time in his life, the most difficult time in his life, the last 24 hours of his life, this period of intense pain and intense suffering. And we talked about things like what he prayed for, like forgiveness, for example. We talked about how he prayed. He prayed very honestly, very, with, with incredible transparency before the Father, right? And then we talked about how he ultimately trusted his Father through the process. So we said, man, Jesus didn't want to suffer and die. In fact, in the garden, he said, if there's any other way, if this cup could be taken from me, if there's any other way, please let it be. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he trusted the Father's will, not his own, the Father's will. And we stepped back from that and we said, what could we learn from all of this? And so we dug into that last week. This week, I want to look at some of the prayers that Jesus prayed right before the ones that we looked at last week. So this is still in the last 24 hours of his life, but right before all of the pain and suffering. Because in these prayers, Jesus stops. He knows what's ahead. He knows pain and suffering is coming. And he stops, and it's interesting, he prays for himself. He prays for his best friends, his disciples. And then you know what else he prays for? You and me. He prays for us. So I'm excited to dig into this here together. So do me a favor, grab a Bible and flip it open to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. So John is one of the Gospels, right? So this is in, in the New Testament, it's in the second half of our Bible. So one of the four Gospels. So these are four different guys telling their experiences of the life and death of Jesus. And so John is the fourth of these Gospels. And this guy, John, was one of the 12 disciples. And so this guy was very likely Jesus' best friend. This guy was his best friend on the planet. And he writes down all of these things that Jesus did. And so that's what we're going to look at. So as you're flipping there, let me give us a little bit of context here. So again, we're still in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Jesus has just had uh, this, this last meal with his disciples, right? We call it the Last Supper. He's kind of shared this meal with them, okay? One of his disciples, Judas, has already left to betray him. So this is the guy who ultimately would bring in the forces that would arrest and beat and torture Jesus. So he's already left. And then Jesus gives them, I think this is really interesting, Jesus gives them a bunch of last words, and so the, these are the last words in, in uh, chapter thir- the end of chapter 13, 1331, through the end of chapter 16, so three chapters, we have the last words of a man who knew he was going to die given to his best friends. And of course, he's not just a man, but he's also God, right? So he knows he's going to be taken from them. And, he ta- and in three chapters, John writes a lot here, in three chapters, he tells us these are the things that Jesus wanted them to know, wanted them to remember before he died. And I thought it might be, it, I, it, I think it might be cool to just read a few of these things so that we have a little bit of context into what Jesus says is most important, right? So let me, let me look at a few of these. So here, here's one, we'll throw it up on the screen here. This is John 13, 34 to 35. He talks about loving each other. What do I want them to remember before I'm taken from them? Love one another. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What do I want them to remember before I go? Love one another. Very, very important. How about this one? This is interesting. Jesus talks about how he is the only way to the Father. This is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
no one comes to the Father before me. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? What do I want them to remember? That there's no other way. There's not a bunch of different gods that lead to the ultimate God. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, right? He talks about, I, this, is, this is one that's kind of a hobby horse for us here at Grace Church, this relationship between faith and love and works. And this is what he says. I like the ESV translation a little bit better on this. It's a little more uh, clear, I think. He, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why do we keep the, why do we like seek holiness in our lives? Why do we seek to do the right thing? Because we love him. It's not because we're worried he's going to punish us. It's not because I don't want to feel guilty. I follow the commandments of God because I love him, right? How about this one? I'll give, I'll give you a few more. Uh, our continued need for him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't forget, guys. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How about this? You'll be hated by the world. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but, you have ch but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He says, the world's going to hate you. But remember, it hated me first, right? How about this? I'll give you three more. I'll be quick with them. The Holy Spirit's coming. He says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But I will go, but if I go, I will send him to you. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He said, I'm be taken from you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be with you. And he's going to guide you the same way that I guided you in person. How about this? Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What's he saying? Don't forget, the father loves you. He's going to meet your needs. He's there for you he's going to meet your needs, right? One more, last one, and, and it's really the love of the Father. Jesus says, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. He's like, don't forget, God loves you. The Father loves you. So, so these are like the last instructions of a dying man, right? And then we get to John chapter 17. Chapter 17 is all this prayer of Jesus, the whole chapter. And if your Bible's like mine, and I bet it is, then it's broken up into three different chunks there. So the first chunk, verses 1 through 5, is all about Jesus praying for himself. Jesus prays for himself. That's the heading in my Bible. The next chunk, verses 6 through 19, is all about Jesus praying for his disciples. The last chunk, verses 20 to 26, where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here this morning, is about Jesus praying for us. And so I really want to encourage you to read this chapter. There's so much in it. We have such a limited time. I went long last service. That's why I'm talking fast this morning. This clock is always against me. Um, so we're not going to have time to dig in real deeply with the first two parts of this, but I really encourage you to check it out on your own, and we'll spend the most of our time focusing on Jesus' prayer for us. But let me give you just kind of a quick um, overview of what Jesus prayed for himself and what Jesus prayed for his disciples. So for himself, what Jesus said was, essentially what he prays is, Father, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Father gave him work to do here on earth, sent him to earth to become flesh. He said, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. And he says, I pray that you would be glorified. And so the son asked that the father would glorify or bring honor to him 
so that he could bring honor back to God, so that he could bring honor back to the Father. So he says it this way. He says, the, he says Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And so Jesus asked that he be glorified so that he could glorify the Father. Because in some strange way, even though Jesus, God the Son, was different than the Father, he was also one and the same with the Father. And so if you had experienced Jesus, this is important in understanding like who God is. If you had experienced Jesus, you had experienced the Father. In some way, they are both the same, right? Both fully God. And so Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father by the things that he was about to do, by laying down his life for all of us. So that's his prayer for himself. And then he prays for his disciples. He prays for the 11 guys that are left. Judas has already taken off. He's done his own thing. And, and what he says is, I've revealed everything to them that you gave me to reveal. Everything that you've told me to say to them, I've already told them. And so he starts praying for them. And he says, it's interesting. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. Very specifically in this prayer, you see Jesus' heart for his best friends here on earth. It's not that he doesn't love the world. But right here, he is praying specifically for them. And what he prays is that the Father would protect them. He knows that he's leaving soon. The end of his life is here. And so he prays, Holy Father, protect them. Now, he doesn't pray that they would be removed from the world, right? He doesn't pray, protect them by, arrest, by pulling them away from the world. That's not what he prays. He wants them to be in the world because they have a mission for the world. Their mission is to reach the world with the good news about Jesus, which, by the way, is the same mission that you and I are on today. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But he asked that they would be protected. He asked that they would be made holy as they're living in the world on a mission. Okay? So so much more there. I quickly, very quickly went over that. Um, I encourage you to dig into that. But so Jesus prays for himself, right? Jesus prays for his disciples, and then Jesus prays for us. Who are we? Well, we are the people that were reached with the good news of the gospel because the disciples actually did what Jesus called them to do, right? Jesus called them to take the good news and live on mission with it and share it with others. And you and I, I mean, like wrap your brain around this. You and I are sitting here this morning, 2,000 years later, because these 11 guys were faithful in what Jesus called them to do. And there's other churches all around the world that are filled with people just like us because these disciples were faithful. They were faithful in the mission that Jesus gave them to do. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Let me ask you this. You ever have somebody in your life that, uh, is like pr that, that has prayed very faithfully and intensely for you? Like maybe it was during a hard time in your life, you know, or maybe it's just somebody that, that loves you. Maybe it's a grandparent or a parent or a spouse, or a trusted friend, and they have been so, you know that they have been so faithful in praying to you. How does that feel for you? I guess a great feeling, right? And maybe if you sit here this morning and you're like, I actually don't know that I have anybody that's, doing, that's, that's ever done that for me. My, my hope is that by being part of this, God connects you with somebody that will do that for you in the future, Right? But if you sit here this morning, and you're like, yeah, I know that feeling. I've, I've had people that like, are faithful in my life. They lift me up to the Lord. It's an incredible feeling. Why? Because you know you're loved. You know that you are cared for, like incredibly deeply cared for 
right? You have people that are willing to not solve your problems and make life easy, but they're willing to help you carry your burden. Like that is an incredible feeling. Listen, this is what Jesus does for us. Like what we're digging into is we see Jesus very tangibly praying specifically for you and for me 2,000 years ago. And here's the incredible news. Romans 8 tells us that he's still doing it today. You have an advocate, right, in Jesus who literally is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me. And he's been doing that over the last 2,000 years for all of us. This is the start of it, I guess, at least the start that we have written down here in the Bible 2,000 years ago before Jesus dies on the cross when he starts praying for us. So I want you to see it. I want you to look at it. So this is uh, John chapter 17. We're going to pick up at verse 20 here. So this is just Jesus' prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. So he just got done praying for his disciples, right? So my prayer is not just for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He goes on, he says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see the glory, the glory that you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. I, like you see Jesus' heart, like he wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him, right? Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So guys, I, I read this prayer and I think this is, this is a fascinating prayer. This is Jesus' prayer for you and for me. And so Jesus could have prayed for anything, Right? Like he pray for whatever he wants for us. But these are the things specifically that Jesus chose to pray for you in your life and for me in my life. And, and th this helps me when I'm reading scripture. Maybe this would help you too. When I'm reading scripture, it helps me as I'm reading a chunk to sort of condense it in my mind, like boil it down in my mind, right? And so as I read this prayer, this chunk of scripture, if I'm gonna boil it down into one word, summarize it into one word, that word would be unity. What Jesus prays for us in a nutshell in this prayer is unity. Of all the things that he could pray for you and for me, what he prays for is unity. And here's what I want you to do this morning. As we start talking about unity, I want you to begin to process this personally in your life. Because this is what Jesus prays for you. This is what Jesus prays for Beth. This is what Jesus prays for Michael. This is what Jesus prays for James, right? He prays this for you and he prays this for me. And so I want you to begin the process of personally applying this to your life. And I'm going to push you a little bit on this this morning as we talk about prayer. Specifically, Jesus, let's be clear, Jesus' prayer here is specifically unity within his church. Unity with others that are followers of his, that are lovers of Jesus, right? And so I want to talk about this. So what Jesus prayed in verses 21 to 23, he says, I'll, I'll give you, I, we'll throw a little snippets here on the screens. He says that all of them, all of us, may be one, 
that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Let me ask you, what do you think it means to be one? Think about the church. Think about what Jesus is praying for us. What do you think that means to be one? What do you think it means for you and I to live in complete unity? You know, it's, it's funny. If you know me and if you know my wife, Marcia, you know that we are like as different, like we are really different people, right? So like beyond physical differences, obvi- there's obvious physical differences. She is a girl. I am a boy. She, I am a man. She is a woman, right? Like she's got hair. I'm bald. There's, there's like physical difference. She's tall for a girl. Um, I'm kind of short for a guy. She's skinny. I am less skinny than she is, right? Like there's all kinds of like physical differences here. But even more than that, um, like, like who we are is really, really different. And so Marsha, for example, is like an inherently patient person, which is probably a good thing if she's married to me, right? But she is a patient, like her default is patience. For me, like I, my default is impatience. I want, I want to get things going. I want to keep things moving, right? And so God has been working on me, you know, over the last year. I'm becoming more of a patient person. I think she's rubbing off on me. But like our defaults are very different that way. So she's, she's a little bit more indecisive as a person. It takes a little longer to make decisions. I'm more decisive. I want to make a decision and go. I'm more aggressive. She's more passive. Like it's just kind of our personalities. It's funny. Like when we go, this is, this is a, a typical example. When we go to like um, a restaurant and a movie, something like that, I'll be like, Marsha, where do you want to go eat? And she'll, her answer almost every time is, I don't care. Like, you don't care? Like, you don't have any preference at all? What movie do you want to see? I don't care. You don't care? Like, you don't care what movie we see? You have no preference with that? Marsha, what color do you want to paint the walls? I don't care. You seriously don't care what color? Like, we are wired very differently. Who she is is really different than who I am. And yet, I have never been so deeply united with any other person on the face of the planet than my wife, Marsha. She and I are so different. Guys, listen, when Jesus is talking about unity, us being united, he's not talking about all of us being alike. Let's be very clear here. Unity is not uniformity. You with me on this? Unity, what Jesus is praying over your life and over my life is not uniformity. Uniformity is not a requirement for unity, which is a good thing because as human beings, there is almost no uniformity between us. Right? The way that God has made us is really, really different. It is across the board. We have some commonalities, but we're different. It's how God made us to be. Fortunately, uniformity, being the same, is not a requirement for what Jesus prays for us in unity. You know what else isn't a requirement? Agreement. Right? Unity is not agreement either. It doesn't mean that we agree about everything. I can be deeply united with somebody and have disagreements with them. I could be deeply united with somebody and see things, see our world and what should happen differently than them. Let me give you an example with Marsha and I again. Marsha, for example, loves Brussels sprouts. And I'm like, that is so stupid. Brussels sprouts are terrible. Those are disgusting. Like, how could like, who could like Brussels sprouts, right? Well, I'll give you another example. Marsha thinks donuts are evil. I'm like, donuts are not evil. They're like a little bite of heaven. Friday was my daughter's birthday, her eighth birthday. She got a little sweet tooth like I do. So as a good dad, 
I get up early in the morning and I go get donuts and I bring them home. And Marsha's like, what are you doing? Like, you know she's gonna have cake later. You know she has a snack that she's taking into school. I'm like, it's her birthday, it's donuts, right? Anyway, you get, you get my point with it, right? Like, we can be really, really different with each other. We cannot agree on a lot, even money, like even bigger things. Like, Marsha's perspective on money is different than mine. She, her risk tolerance is lower. She, she's conservative with money. Marsha would not spend money unless it's absolutely required. I'm like, it's okay to buy a new pair of socks sometimes, honey. You know? Like, we're different that way, and it's okay we can still be deeply united with each other even when we don't agree on everything because compromise is a thing, right? I can be united with somebody and not be in agreement. So unity is not uniformity. Unity is not agreement. What is unity? Well, unity is found in our identity. Guys, this is, this is I, if there's nothing else you get this morning, I want you to get this. Unity is found in our identity. Here's what I mean by that. Look back at the passage. Look back at verse 21. I'll pick up midway through 21. Jesus says, you know, he prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. He goes on in verse 22. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Guys, listen, what is Jesus saying that you and I should be united in. Well, he's saying that you and I should be united in him, right? We're united in him and we're united in the fact that he's in us. Our identity is in him. As Christians, our unity is found in our identity. And what is our identity if we're a Christian? Well, I can tell you this, I'm a child of God. Right? What's my identity if I'm a Christian? My identity is I am a child of the Father. And together we, united, are children of God. What's my identity if I'm a Christian? I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? That's my identity. And together, united, we're followers of Jesus. What's my identity? I'm a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Right? Me personally. And then together, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. I identify with him, and together, we identify with him. Now, I don't know what you think of. Like, when you think of the word identity and what we identify with, but man, our culture uses that term really differently, right? Like, when I think of identity, a lot of times, if, if I'm, uh, you know, reading the, the news or a website or watching video, whatever it is, you hear sexual identity, Right? Like that's the first thing I think of when I think of I identify as such and such. And so you have uh, folks identifying as a boy. You have folks identifying as a girl, no matter what their sex is, no matter what their anatomy says. You hear about folks identify, identifying as neither, as being non-binary. I'm not a girl. I'm not a boy. Right? And so we look at that and we go as a culture, we go, well, okay, I guess that's identity. So I identify as straight or I identify as gay, or I identify as bi, or I identify as trans, or I identify as non-binary, or whatever it is. Or we broaden it out, this idea of identity, identity, we broaden it past sexual identity, and we go, well, I'm, I identify as a proud white man, that's who I am, or a proud white woman, that's who I am, or a proud black man, or a proud black woman, or we go, well, I identify as a rich man, 
I identify as an educated man. I identify as an athlete. That's my identity. That's who I am. But guys, I would argue that that whole discussion is far secondary to our ultimate identifier. You know what our ultimate identifier is? Do I identify with Jesus? Do I identify with him? Am I in him? And is he in me? See, that's, that's the ultimate identifier, not just for us as Christians, but for us as humankind. And I think that's why we have so much confusion in our culture in terms of identity, because we're looking for our identity, our ultimate identity, in all of the wrong places. We go, okay, well, what's my identity? I'm straight. That's my identity. I'm gay. Well, I'm bi. Well, I'm trans. I'm a white man. I'm a doctor. I'm an athlete. No. My ultimate identity is I'm a Christian. That's, that's my ultimate identity before anything else. And I believe then that, that that holds the key to me. No matter what my preference is, no matter what, how I identify, my identity in Christ holds the key for me in an understanding my sexual identity. My identity in Christ holds the key for me in understanding my feelings. My identity in Christ holds the key for me in understanding my personality. It holds the key for me in understanding my specific struggles with sin. It holds the key for me in understanding my purpose in life. See, we, I, I can only find my true identity, my true me, my true self in Jesus. I desperately believe that. I desperately believe that. And when I do, then it unites me with everybody else who finds their true identity in Jesus, even when they are really different than me, even when they have really different preferences than me and we see things differently. Guys, can I, can I just be uh, very honest and direct with you? I get very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable with how Christians are responding to people who are confused and struggling with identity issues. I get very uncomfortable because we're not responding in the way that I think Jesus wants us to respond. Instead, we're alienating people. Instead of exhibiting love to them and helping them understand their true identity in Jesus, we're condescending with them. I, I, I love and hate social media because of what we can so easily post and so easily share. I, I've seen so many Christians that post things where I think, do you really believe that? Like, how do you think that sounds to somebody who's struggling that way? Do you think that's drawing them toward Jesus? Or do you think it's pushing them away from Jesus? Because we could be so condescending and mean and arrogant and uncaring and sinful, and it's got to stop. It doesn't mean we don't have beliefs. Like we are, like we believe everything in here. It doesn't mean we don't have beliefs. It means we're gracious with people, right? It means we're trying to draw people toward Jesus so that he can change us. He can change them just like he needs to change me. Jesus compares the unity that we're supposed to have. I think this is an interesting thing, like wrap your mind around this. He compares the unity that you and I are supposed to have as a church with the unity within the Godhead. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How, so three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet one God. And he says, this is how you should be. This is, that's what Jesus prays for us, that they may be one as you and I are one, Father, right? That we be united that way. 
And when we are, when you and I are united that, like deeply that way, it is a gorgeous thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it makes a statement to the world, right? Let me ask you this. I, and I got to be quick here. I got I two more things. I'll be quick with them. Let me ask you this. What, what holds unity together for us? Like, what is the glue, do you think, that bonds us together? You know this. It's love, right? Like, I choose to love other people. I, my, my default as a Christian, my default with other Christians is love and trust and grace and acceptance and forgiveness, right? That's my default. And, and if you're like me, there's days that you wake up and you're like, I feel so loving today. I just want to give somebody a hug. And there's days you wake up and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody today. Like, I got up on the wrong side of the bed, and I hope I don't encounter anybody because I may punch them in the face if they annoy me, right? Why is that? Well, because we're fickle, you know? We can be selfish in our lives, right? But here's the incredible news. It's not just dependent on me. My capacity to love other people, specifically to love others that are part of Jesus' church, is not just dependent on me. When I spend time with him in prayer, he changes me. He gives me a greater capacity to love others, right? And so my default, the glue that holds us together, that holds us united, is loving one another. Sometimes that's easy for me. Sometimes that's harder for me. I don't know about you, but there's been days, I, I, tr- test me on this. There's been days I've woken up and I'm like, man, I am sick of people today. I don't really want to talk to anybody today. And then I go and I pray and I spend time with God and I'm like, no, no, no. I love people. I love them. I'm as messed up as anybody else, right? Like he changes us from the inside out. Let let me give you one other thing. One one other thing that Jesus talks about that he emphasizes in this prayer. Our unity, unity in Jesus' church isn't the end goal for him. Jesus doesn't, you know, desire unity for us just because, just so that we could all get along, but there's actually a purpose to it. It helps us accomplish our mission, right? Unity helps us accomplish our mission. Did you catch what Jesus prayed for, uh, uh, regarding the world in, the, in this little prayer. It's easy to miss it. Look back at verse 21. He says, this is his prayer. He says, may they also be in us, you and I, may, be, may we be in the Father and the Son, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Okay, makes sense then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus seems to think that our unity, unity within his church, would actually be an attractive thing to the world. Imagine that. You and I loving each other, you and I caring for each other, being something that the world would look at and go, I like that. I want that. I want to be loved unconditionally. I want to be friends with people. I want to be a forgiving person. Jesus actually thinks that when we're united and loving each other, it'll make an impact. And of course, he's right. Right? Of course, he's right. See, unity makes our mission possible. Unity makes the mission that we're on possible. Let me ask you, I I hope you see this. Forgive me for being on a hobby horse this morning, but I, ho- I hope you see this. I look at our world, and guys, we are, we are far more divided, particularly our country, 
we are far more divided today than we were even 15, 20 years ago. I, I don't know if it's, I shared with you last week, like all this Charlottesville stuff is just, I don't know if it's messing with my mind or just open my eyes wider. But man, there is so much division in our world. Division among races, division in politics, division in socioeconomic classes, division in religion, all these other places. It's far worse today than it was 15, 20 years ago. And you know what it's all driven by? Selfishness, pride, fear, arrogance, sin, right? All of this division is driven by sin. Let me ask you a question. What sort of difference do you think it would make to our world if the church was different, if we didn't just fall in line with every other, you know, racist, with every other elitist, with every other staunch partisan politician, and instead the church was different. What sort of statement do you think it would make to the world if the church had this uncommon unity? Guys, I think the world would look at us and they would go, I want some of that. Like, I'm interested in what drives that. I'm interested in what makes them that way. As you and I have this incredible mission that we've been given by Jesus, and an and absolute key to that mission is that you and I would love each other. And I, and I realize in, in many ways, I think I'm preaching to the choir. You guys do love each other. But it's deceptive. Because we can go, yeah, I, I love Nate, I love Marsha, I love these handful of people, but then we close the door and we start talking about, gossiping about other people behind their back and we don't even realize we're doing it. Like division, we're like, no, I'm united, but I guess I'm not united with everybody. Guys, let me, let me, let me end by asking you a few questions. What do you want for your life? So, so what we just looked at is what Jesus wants for your life, in my life. He wants unity. He wants love. He wants compassion, right? He wants us to be on mission for him. Is that what you want in your life? What sort of changes do you need to make in your life to make that happen? What sort of changes? What, what has to change in your life to be what Jesus prays that you and I would be? Are you willing to make those changes? Are you willing to do the hard work of saying, I got it, like, I see this part of me that's not healthy. Maybe I didn't see it before. I see it's not healthy. I'm selfish in this area. Maybe I'm selfish with my time. I just want to do my own thing, you know? Can't I just relax? Maybe I'm selfish with my money, right? We have all these people in, in Texas and Florida that are losing everything. Are we, like, do we care? Do we want to help? Are you and I willing to do what Jesus calls us to do and be who Jesus calls us to be, even when it's inconvenient for us? Guys, that's my prayer for us here this morning, that we'd be what Jesus desires us to be, that we'd be willing to make the changes, that we would recognize the changes, and we'd be willing to make the changes necessary. Are you willing to make those changes in your life?